well in a moment, but it'll be helpful if you can be there ready. Uh, we all love a champion, don't we? Well, I guess we do. Yeah, we do, don't we? We, we all love a champion, and especially someone who, who beats all the odds. And I, I don't know whether you're a sports fan or not. Um, you may not be, but I trust you'll just uh, uh, indulge me in this uh, sort of reference to somebody in the sports world. But Many of you will have been aware, certainly she was on the news back in September, of Emma Raducanu, uh, the British tennis player, who came from virtually nowhere to win the US Open. I mean, it was just staggering. We, we watched it, and it was just an amazing run through, an amazing final. And just such an, an, just a staggering thing to come from where she did to win that final. And her victory went on to inspire many others. They kind of said, look, wow, if she can do that, maybe we can too. And this morning, we are talking about a greater victory. We're talking about a, a victory against more astounding odds and a far greater champion, and that is Jesus. Yes, Jesus. And we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 12, and it will come up. Perhaps we can stand and read this together. Um, let's read it together. It's good to Confess the word together, isn't it? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And everyone said, Amen. Please be seated. Now, I love, as many of you know, the New Living Translation, and it actually inserts a word in there, and it says, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who is the author and the finisher of our faith or who initiates and perfects our faith. And yes, it's an inserted word, but I believe in many ways it sums up what the writer to the Hebrews is saying in those verses. Now, sometimes it's, it's just unfortunate that we've got chapters in our Bible. They're convenient, they help us to find our way through scriptures, but uh, this is one of those unfortunate instances, and it's very easy just to read chapter 12 as a standalone chapter, to read those verses as a standalone piece, when in actual fact, they immediately follow what went before in chapter 11, which not only that is connected to the end of chapter 10. The writer has, has been seeking to encourage the discouraged Hebrews to stay true to Jesus Christ, to persevere, though Though they don't see everything being fulfilled at this moment in time, the temple is still standing, the priests are still offering their sacrifices, and in view of the, the suffering and the persecution that is going on under Nero, they are tempted to, to go back on Jesus, to go back to the old way of doing things. But he tells them, he says, you know, Jesus is truly God. He tells them Jesus is truly man. He tells them, yes, Jesus is truly the great high priest. And yes, he has offered that sacrifice once for all, that atoning sacrifice for sin 
and he has instituted a new covenant which is better by far. And the emphasis you get in those middle chapters is better, 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 better. Because it is way, way better than anything that went before it. And uh, then as he comes towards the, the end of his, his letter, he begins to, to move from exposition, from teaching, to exhortation. He wants to exhort them in their belief and, and following of Jesus Christ. And so at the end of chapter 10, verses 35 and 36, we read these words, Don't throw away your confidence, which is great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Don't throw away your confidence. Some of them had done that, and some were tempted to do that. He's saying, hang on, guys. Jesus is everything. Don't throw away your confidence in him and in the gospel. You have need of endurance. It may be that there's someone here this morning or even watching online who who's in that kind of position where they're they're wavering. What's the point of all this? How do we really know about Jesus? What's the point of the Christian faith? It would be much better just to do what I want to do, maybe even on a Sunday morning. The danger of throwing away our confidence, of going back on Jesus. And his exhortation is, don't do that. Don't throw away your confidence. It has great reward. But you need endurance at this moment in time. And Maybe that's a word that some of us need to hear wherever you are at at this moment in time, the situation that you're going through. The enemy would say, what's the point? But the word of God would come to you and say, Jesus is everything and you need endurance. You need to learn how to endure. And in helping them to understand how they can endure, he begins to talk to them about the great heroes of the faith that Barney was talking about last week. He reminds them of those heroes, everyday imperfect people who who believed and trusted God in seemingly impossible situations and circumstances against against insurmountable odds. Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah and Joseph and Moses, the Israelites who left Egypt, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. He just goes through this, their history and he, he just mentions these heroes of their faith who they would connect with immediately. And then he says that though they believed, they didn't received, receive and the world was not worthy of them. And then, then we get to chapter 12 and he says, now look, look at this. It says, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses, Surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance. So there it was, endurance at the end of chapter 10, endurance now in the beginning of chapter 12. You have need of endurance. And here we are, we look at this and we we very often think in our modern context of a a stadium and of a race and of, 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 of the stands being full of people and as, as if these people were witnessing what we were doing. And, and that's not the right use of the word. The word that's used here is a reference to somebody who's giving a testimony. These people are testifying to the validity of faith. These people are testifying to the reality that you can trust God no matter what you are going through. 
And so it is in that sense, it's like the courtroom sense where witnesses are called and the more witnesses there are that are called, the more it stacks up in one, on one side or the other. And that's what's going on in this chapter. It's not about a cloud of witnesses watching us and cheering us on. And there might be some measure of that, but that is not the writer's intention. The intention is that these are people who have a valid testimony to faith in this life and the difficulty of the circumstances of, of life. And so he says to them, in view of these witnesses, in view of their their testimonies, let us also. And so he connects them, he connects us with the historic people and purposes of God in human history. That's amazing, isn't it? It's good to know that we're not just standalone Christians in the 21st century. We have a history. We have a history of men and women of God going back many, many years. As part of something I'm doing, I was, I've been doing some research on various people, and I came across the story of Harriet Tubman. I don't know whether any of you ever went to see the film Harriet when it came out, and I'd forgotten about it, but we were looking for a film to watch on, on, on um, Friday night, and I, suddenly I this came up, and I, Harriet, yes, I remember something about Harriet when this research I'd been doing. And so I pulled up the film and looked at it, and I, I said, Pam, this, this looks good. So we watched, we sat down and watched it. An amazing African slave in the States. The, the circumstances are horrendous. And how she, she flees from her master and she, she runs north uh, to the States that are where, it's now, uh, where, where there's freedom for the slaves. And her amazing faith and her encounters with God and the vision she has to, that enable her to go an impossible journey. And how even when she's done that and they, they, she's going to help them get some more uh, out, out from those states where slavery still exists. She, and they want her to do it uh, their way. She says, no, 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 God has done this for me. I've proved God in this situation. I know he can guide me again. She led hundreds of slaves into freedom. I'd encourage you to go and watch the film because it's just amazing. We need to read stories like that because sometimes we get wrapped up in our little world which is, which is perhaps very small and, and the enemy gets the better of us and we go and read the big stories of men and women of faith and, and you go, oh my goodness. It puts my life in perspective but it also encourages us to endure. So he says to them, in view of these witnesses, in view of their testimonies, let us also keep going. Let us persevere in the race. Or, as I would translate that now, marked out for us. Now, when I was studying this, I was going to go down my... The route I've, I've preached on this, this before. But I picked up um, voice, um, New Testament, expanded translation. And I, I just thought, I'll have a read of that and see what it says. And you know, it blew my mind away. It blew my mind away. I thought, I, there's something here I have never, ever seen before. And th- these three verses are, are if you like, in the, at the beginning of this chapter, they're like a, a zip file that you have on your computer. You know what a zip file is? It's when you, you compress a whole lot of data into a smaller amount of space. And then when you need it, you unzip it and you unpack it all. And, and That is like a zip file. There is so much packed in these few verses. It is just amazing. And I I haven't got time to explain it all, but I hope you'll trust me and follow me as I go through this. So I want to suggest to you that the race is not perhaps the original idea of the writer, but more a pilgrimage. It fits with the narrative that is going on here. 
the pilgrimage that is marked out for us. And then he says, having laid aside the weight and the sin that hindered us. And notice that I've, it's having laid aside. In many of our contemporary versions, it says that we need to lay aside. Let us lay aside. But that is not there, actually, in the original in that way. You see, you do all of that kind of stuff at the beginning. If you're going to run a race, you lay aside everything that is going to hinder you before you run the race. And I want to suggest to you that is what the writer is saying in these verses. I try and sum it up towards the end so you can see the bigger picture. So he says, let us run or persevere in this pilgrimage with endurance, having laid aside the weight and sin that so hindered us, looking unto Jesus, the author, the initiator, the pioneer and perfecter and finisher of our faith. Or as the New Living Translation says, our champion. And I love that. But why is he, why is Jesus our champion? How is he our champion? It's common for us to, to think that Jesus saves us through his atoning death. That he was simply born to die for us, for you, for me. He was born to die in our place. To remove that from us which separated us from God, from a holy God. And that, my brothers and sisters, is true, but in actual fact, it is not all the truth. It's almost as if Jesus could be parachuted in, as it, as it were, as Son of God from heaven, and die on a cross and pay for our sins. That would be to miss something. You see, Scripture also speaks of the necessity of his life. It was necessary that he should be born, that he should take on human flesh, that he should live here as we do. So it speaks of, how, of his, how, he, how from his incarnation to his death, Jesus stood in our place as your substitute and my substitute, as your representative and my representative, and, and then he lived out saving righteousness for us. You need to get that, because he came here not only to die for you, but to live for you in order that he might die for you. And he lived out saving righteousness for us. He came, as it says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was made like us in every way. And Hebrews brings that out in chapter 2. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 8. He knew the, the full power of temptation. But every time he said no to Satan and yes to his father, he didn't deviate from the father's will one little bit. Day by day he fulfilled a true and complete obedience to his Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was born for us. He was baptized for us. He kept the law for us. He lived out the life of faith for us, a life of absolute and perfect trust in the Father. And then he died for us. In other words, he lived the life that you should have lived, that I should have lived, that we should have lived, but couldn't. However hard we might try by all our efforts in one way or another to perform up to God, it was impossible. You see, for Jesus, everything in his life counted. 
His whole life was a saving act. When he was born, he was given the name of Jesus. And what did that name mean? That he would save his people from their sins. Wow. He was called Jesus because he would save you. 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 He would save you from your sin. He would save me from my sins. And throughout his life, he lived into that name through his priestly and his prophetic ministry, becoming in reality Jesus in every sense of the word. Savior. Hallelujah. And I think that's staggering when I read the story of Jesus. Every day he was living for me. Every day he was resisting temptation for me. Every act of his ministry in some way was a saving act towards me, towards you, towards us. Every word, every deed, every act of obedience, every forgiveness, every, every deliverance, every healing, every miracle was a demonstration of who he was and his priestly and prophetic ministry on behalf of a broken humanity. Defeating evil and restoring fellowship with his Father and the fullness of life to us. And I just want to go, wow, amen. Isn't that good? Yeah? Doesn't that excite you? I mean, the gospel is literally staggering, isn't it? You see, what gives power to Jesus' death is his life. Without it, it would mean nothing and accomplish nothing. Yet we very often just focus in on his death, and there's a place for that. But it's his life that invests it with such substitutionary and life-saving power. Wow. The power that has changed thousands upon millions of lives down through the centuries. So he truly becomes the, the author and the finisher of our faith. And that is variously translated of as in our versions as the faith, the author and finisher of the faith, or our faith, or simply faith. And I want to suggest to you that I think the correct translation is simply faith. You see, when we say Jesus is the author and the finisher of, of the faith, we, we get a mental picture of stuff we've got to know, of, of things we not, we've got to believe in, and we try harder, we we gain more facts, and there's a place for facts, but that's not what's going on here. If we think of our faith, the emphasis comes upon us, and we're trying to muster up in some way or other more faith. We've got to keep it up. We've got to keep believing somehow. And so the emphasis and the danger is having faith in our faith. I've been there, and I guess many of you have, and it wanes. But when you think of it as faith, you think of it places it back on Jesus. It takes it off you, and it places it back on Jesus, which I believe is the author's intention here. So he says that Jesus is the author and finisher of faith. And I go, wow, that's staggering. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Listen, when it comes to salvation, the meriting cause of salvation is Christ's own faith, not yours or mine. Sometimes our faith feels weak, doesn't it? But it's not the weakness of our faith, it's the strength of his that what counts. And it's staggering. It's literally staggering. 
We believe in Jesus Christ to be saved by faith of Jesus Christ. Romans 3.22 says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. And when it comes to, to living out this Christian life, when it comes to, to living out this life of faith, it is Christ's faith that is the enabling cause, not ours. It's looking away unto Jesus. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when the devil's come at me hard. And the devil has focused me on me, you know? And, and you know what that's like? Have you ever been there when the devil comes along and he focuses you on you and you kind of, Jesus begins to recede in the background and suddenly your face begins to shrink and you begin to think, oh my, my what, woe is me and all that kind of stuff. And you, you have a pity party and all that kind of thing. You see, the answer is not trying to found in trying to bolster up my faith, but looking away unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of faith. Amen? Wow. When it comes to living out this life, then Christ is the, Christ's faith is the enabling cause, not yours or mine. It's looking away to him who has authored, and as I spoke about a few weeks ago, who has trailblazed this life of faith and has finished faith. And hence the writer says, consider him who endured such hostility. And that's why I think it's right to, to follow in these verses a, a kind of more literal expanded translation. So when the, the writer speaks then, coming back to it, of that weight uh, that, that pulls us down and of the sin uh, that he's got there that hinders in most versions that we need to lay aside, he's actually saying that in Christ that has been done. Yeah? In Christ, that has been done. So the weight of religious ritual and performance that cannot save has been fulfilled in Jesus. Because he came and fulfilled the law for us. The reality of sin, which, can, which, we, cannot be, which we cannot defeat, has been defeated in Jesus Christ. That is staggering. And you can parallel, parallel that with what Paul has to say in his letters. It's not by religious works or rituals, but by God's grace alone. That should get a hallelujah or an amen, shouldn't it? It's, it's not by religious works. It's not by us performing, coming to church every Sunday and going through certain religious works that gets us saved. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. It is his grace. We're saved by grace through faith in him alone. Yeah. And in Christ, we have died to sin, so we are not under its power anymore. We can live righteously by the Spirit. And therefore, we can run the race that is set before us. We can persevere wherever we are, whatever we are going through, as the one who originates faith also finishes it and enables us to continue as we keep our eyes on. I just think this is staggering. I could spend, I think, a few weeks on this because it is just absolutely loaded. So no wonder the writer says, consider him. Consider him. And as we do so, let's just notice one other thing here. Because frequently we have heard it said, and I have to confess that I've said it, that it was for the joy that was set before Jesus that he endured the cross. It was for the joy of knowing us as his own that he endured the cross. But that's not how it works in a literal translation. And some of you 
will have notes at the bottom of your Bible page that say something like this. You see, if I read it this way, Jesus is the originator and perfecter of our faith, who over against the joy that was set before him. In other words, the joy that he could have had if he had not gone through the pain of the cross, the alternative. And sometimes that's an option in our lives, isn't it? There's an option that the enemy will suggest to us, look, if you do that, you'll be a lot happier. But that's not the way of the cross. Not the way of the cross at all. Jesus could have chosen an easier route, but he didn't. We're going to read it in a more literal translation, and if we can put it up on the screen, that would be great. My time has run out. And as I've thought and meditated on this, I've looked at how others have translated it. This is how I've translated it out. Therefore, since we also are surrounded by such a great number of testimonies to this life of faith, let us, having put off every weight and the sin that ensnares and hinders, press on with endurance in the pilgrim journey that is set before us, looking to the originator and perfecter of faith, Jesus, who over against the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, having despised its shame and is now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself that you may not be wearied and faint. It's staggering, isn't it? Uh, You know, take a picture of that. Go away and think upon that yourself. Read it over and over. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. But perhaps you've been discouraged. Perhaps that's how you're feeling at this moment in time either here in the room or, or online. Perhaps you, you feel like turning back. What's the point of it all? Perhaps you've been let down, or you didn't get the answer that you were expecting or hoped for. Perhaps things have not worked out for you as you imagined. And the danger is that the enemy will push you in on yourself and try to drive you away from Jesus. And the writer here is exhorting them and saying, look, Jesus is the champion. Jesus is the champion. And rather like I said at the beginning with Emma Raducanu, when she won that US Open, others were saying, why, if she can do this, so can we. And so that is what comes to us through this scripture, that Jesus is our champion, the author and finisher of faith. Therefore, whatever we are experiencing, whatever we're going through, as we look to him, we can draw strength through the Holy Spirit to be champions too. Yeah? Turn to the person next to you and say, God wants you to be a champion. Now turn to them and say it with at least a degree of conviction. God wants you to be a champion. Now tell them Jesus is the author and finisher of faith. Amen? Let's stand, shall we? Oh, gracious Father, I just love your word. 
God, I've read it for years, and, and you still blow me away with, with what's in there. And I love Jesus. Oh, Father, we thank you that he came and he, he lived for us. He lived for us, every one of us, the life that we should have lived. And because he lived and served and in the way that he did, he was able to die in the way that he did. Oh, God, that's staggering. Tempted in all points as we are. Being totally obedient unto the Father. Fulfilling all righteousness on our behalf. Then taking our sin to himself and, and dying with that sin on him and being judged on our behalf and going down into death. Oh, we praise you that there was power in his life and it released power in his death so that death could not contain him, but up from the grave he rose with a mighty triumph over his foes. And so we bless you, Jesus, that you're in heaven today, the man in the glory at the Father's right hand. And because you are the champion, we can be champions in this life. All oh, that you will, you will give us endurance. And I pray for any this morning who are really struggling in their faith, God, that they will hear your word receive strength of the Holy Spirit. All oh, that they would turn their eyes away from their circumstances and all that that is pulling them down, turn them away and look unto Jesus, the author, the finisher, the champion of faith. May we each, as we go through this week, be champions for your glory and praise. Amen. Let's give him a round of applause because I think he's worthy. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done.